Well, it has been almost 32 years ago that my father-in-law, my wife Kathy's husband, went to be with Jesus. He was only 59 years old, and it was a shock. Even though he had had uh, quadruple bypass surgery, he was doing wonderfully well, and then about six months later, he went to bed and never woke up. Another thing I should tell you is when he had his bypass surgery, right around that time, he gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) So it was incredible, as I shared at his funeral service, to be able to say that he's with the Lord. Praise God for that. But his death was a shock. And uh, for those of you who have had, whether it's parents or siblings or grandparents or maybe even children, pass away, especially unexpectedly, unexpectedly it is heart-wrenching it is life changing in the worst sense of the word and it was a really difficult time especially for my wife Kathy so my wife is from and her dad and parents were from Elyria Ohio some of you know that name just west of Cleveland even though Kathy primarily grew up in Phoenix actually lived, lived uh, in England as well. Her, her dad was a uh, full colonel in the Air Force, combat pilot, and just, that's the man I had to ask for his only daughter's hand in marriage. What do you think that day was like? Whoa. Terrifying would just begin to describe that day for me. But he said yes, and 40 years ago we got married, so that's awesome too. But anyway, But the funeral was in Elyria. So we're at this funeral home doing what you you tend to do for funerals, and that is you have these things called calling hours where your friends come and, you know, express well wishes and sympathies and that kind of thing. Some of you know that I pastored before I was at Grace for 16 years. I pastored for 20 years in Delaware, Ohio, which is just north of Columbus, kind of a bedroom community of Columbus. So Elyria is about two and a half hours from where we were. So here we are at the calling hours, and some people are coming, and in walks a group from our church who had driven two and a half hours, and they came to be with us, and they hugged us, and they cried, and they prayed for us right there on the spot. It was moving. It was powerful. And they stayed for about an hour, and they got in the car and drove two and a half hours home. Now, one of the things that Kathy and I will never remember, and she is so much better at this than me because it's kind of who she is, is that day in a very special way, I was 32, she was 31 years old at the time, in a very special and important way, God demonstrated to us the power of presence the power of being there. And so we're doing this series, What is Your Word for the Year? My word for the year is presence, is presence, is being there. I need to do better in this area of my life. One of the things I've discovered, and I have been around long enough prior to the kind of technology we have today, is to see that technology is just, in a lot of ways, intruding into the lives of people to the point that there's not a lot of face-to-face going on, that there's not a lot of being together. And I think God, in fact, I don't think, I, I feel very confident that God designed us for relationship, didn't he? God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, has existed in relationship from eternity past. 
and we are created in his image. And yet I think it's very easy, it's very, very easy for us to begin and to, to really lose sight of how powerful and important presence being with people literally face to face is God designed us for that. You know, we kind of joke with our neighbors. We, we have really good neighbors. We, we really like our neighbors, but we all kind of joke about how between about late December and maybe early March, uh, we drive into our driveways, the garage door goes up, we go into our garage, the garage door goes down, and we really don't speak to each other for three months. Now, when we're out doing lawn work, and we're out walking our dog, and we're outside, it's like, hey, how are you? But during this time of year for us in frigid northern Indiana, uh, you know, you kind of think, I can do everything from home. I can do everything through this or through this, you know? And I think it really can create a sense of isolation. And that can happen between believers. You know, we we can become more and more isolated from each other. So this morning, my word is present. Being present. And so what I want to do is share from a couple perspectives. And I think, you know, I'll just share that some of you know we're doing Stephen Ministry Training. That's a new ministry that we are launching into here at Mission Point, which I love. And Stephen Ministry Training has just begun. There are 17 of us going through that training. Stephen Ministry is referred to as a ministry of presence, a ministry of being with people who hurt people who are struggling, people who have been through crisis and difficult times in their lives. And this ministry, which literally is all over the world, uh, has recognized the power of sitting with people in their pain and sitting with people in their struggle. Now, for some of us, that's not natural at all. That's very difficult. We don't even really think that way. But what we're finding, what I'm hopefully learning myself, is that presence is very powerful. What it can do for others, but every bit as much what it does for us. Some people who know me pretty well know I'm quite the extrovert. I am. I am an extroverted person. But presence and showing up and being there with people isn't just for the extroverts. (laughs) In fact, some of you who tend to be very quiet and, and don't say much are awesome listeners and incredible caregivers And you can teach many of us a great deal about the power of presence and what that means for you. So I want to divide up what I want to share with you this morning, just two major thoughts, two major categories. One is God's presence with us, and the second is our presence with others, okay? So we're going to begin by talking about God's presence with us. We're going to turn, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And here's what these verses say. It says, Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, as occurs often, especially in the book of Hebrews, but in a lot of the New Testament epistles, the letters of our New Testament, is they quote from the Old Testament. So this verse, this phrase, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, actually appears three times in the Old Testament. It appears in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, and Joshua 1, 5. In the first two places, it's Moses talking to the nation of Israel. God is speaking through Moses, saying to his people, I will never leave or forsake you. And then Moses says it to Joshua. And then God says it directly to Joshua. So the author of of Hebrews is going back to this verse and this idea that God will never leave or forsake us and reminding us as the church, because it doesn't just apply to Israel, it applies to us, the church, that God will never leave or forsake us. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the word leave and the word forsake, because these are really important words to understand. Kind of the literal interpretation of the word leave means to let go, to let go in terms of to have grasped and release, okay? So here's the picture when God says, I will never leave you. Think of, think of holding the hand of a child as you are crossing the road. <laughs> and this child has a tendency to run or do their own thing. And so you grip that little hand pretty hard, don't you, as you're crossing the street or crossing the road. Leave here means to let it go, to just let go of the hand. God has said to his children, I will never let go of you. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful thing. Now, the word forsake is an even stronger word. The word forsake means to completely abandon, literally to turn your back on. Okay, And so God is saying to us, I will never turn my back on you. I will never abandon you. And some of you, maybe you're going through a season where you have really blown it. And you're living with a lot of shame right now. And you're living with a lot of guilt right now. And you know, some sins are secret, so yet we confess them to the Lord, but we don't have to do collateral damage with people. Other sins devastate other people. And we need to go wherever we need to go to get forgiveness and hopefully some kind of cleansing from that. It's really hard. God doesn't do that. I'm not going to turn my back on you. He says, I'm not going to forsake you. Isn't that good to know? Yes, he's a holy God. Yes, he hates our sin, my friends. He does. But the promise is, I'm not going to abandon you. I will not turn my back on you. That is so comforting to know. And that's true for you if you're a child of God through Jesus Christ. Okay? Well, let me give you another verse that for me has been powerful in my whole thinking about sharing with you about presence. Um, 
actually, I want to I want to share something before I get to that verse because there's something else I wanted to tell you, and that is uh, that the context of Hebrews. I think it's, if it's still up there, there it is. Thank you. The context. This is really important. Is uh, the love of money and being free from the love of money and being content with what you have. Do you see that it says that? For then the promise comes, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that interesting? So God's assurance of his presence in our life is tied in verse 5, Hebrews 13, 5, to security. Where is your security? Why do we love money? Why do we go after material things? Because we think they bring us security. And what this passage is saying, no, no, learn to be content. Learn to be content with what you have. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to abandon you, is what he says. Isn't it difficult to be an American (laughs) and not be just the consummate consumer, you know, Not that we can really blame our culture, but boy, it just bombards us constantly. You need more. Why why would you be content with what you have? You're entitled. You deserve. And we hear all of these kinds of words. And unfortunately, they just tend to shape us, don't they? And yet, contentment, biblical contentment, is a recognition that A good, powerful, loving God is in control of my life, right? And I don't have to strive and I don't have to manipulate and I don't have to, you know, uh, pursue things instead of him that contradict who he is. That's so helpful. The other thing I wanted to share in verse 6, in addition to contentment, is we can have confidence. Did you see that back in verse 6? This was, this was really great. Where he goes on to say, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I will not be afraid. Can I tell you something I've noticed? A lot of people live with fear. A lot. A lot of people live with a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. How do I know that? Because I hear them talk about it all the time, or I hear the thing, oh, I'm so upset about this, I'm so stressed about this, I'm so worried about this, I'm freaking out about this, and I kind of hear that a lot. I do, and I know life is hard, believe me. I know, you know, if you're one of those people, I tend not to be this way, Thankfully, I have my other issues for sure, but I tend not to be a worst case scenario kind of person. Are, are you a bit that way? Well, this could happen. And what if this happens? And, you know, this could happen. And I know this is a good thing, but what if? And it's like, don't you drive yourself nuts if you do that? I mean, that just sounds so exhausting. And we're not supposed to live that way because... The Lord is my helper, and he says he'll never leave or forsake me. So I need to take in my spirit a deep breath. Chill out. God's in control. He really is. And uh, that's not naive. That's just kind of thinking biblically, I believe, the passage would tell us. So we can have confidence. That's my other C. We need to be content. 
we can also have confidence. We can have confidence. That's what he tells us, because he will never leave nor forsake us. Praise God for that. Okay, now I want to go to another passage. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This passage will be familiar with many of you. Uh, It's referred to as the Great Commission. And I want you to see as I read these verses, the last part of verse 20, it's this idea of God's presence with us, okay? Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Then Jesus said to them, and this is right before Jesus was going to ascend back into heaven. It was after he had raised from the dead. He had made all these appearances to his apostles and disciples and all of them. Now he's ready to go back into heaven. And we read this. Then Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of the reasons why this wasn't just the Great Commission, the marching orders of the first century church, It's for the church until Jesus returns, right? Because I am with you to the very end of the age until I return, is his point. Now, if you read read, uh, the Great Commission, as we call it, what I just read, it's like, that sounds impossible. (laughs) Make disciples of the whole world? Really? Maybe that's part of why he's given us over 2,000 years as the church to work on it. Because it's overwhelming. It's incredible. Why does he say, do you think, I'm with you. I got you. I'm with you. Even to the very end of the age. Because we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without God. How is he with us? You know, Jesus is with the Father in heaven. It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. But who did he send? He sent the Spirit, right? He sent the Holy Spirit to be in us, to dwell among us. And it's that Holy Spirit that empowers us to be able to do what he's called us to do. Even this incredible commission of making disciples of all the nations. So his presence helps us to be competent. That's my other C. It helps us be competent, not of ourselves, but because of him. So I love this when we think about God's presence in our lives, God's presence in us personally, God's presence in his church. We can have contentment, we can have confidence, we can be competent to do what he's called us to do. So that's a beautiful thing to me to know that I am not in any way on my own. I have Christ who's promised never to leave or forsake me, and so do you. Okay? So that's kind of my first major idea or point about God's presence with us. It should make a difference as you take time to really remember that and think about that. The second is our presence with others. Our presence with others. Okay? So we're going to start there with, uh, it's going to actually kind of be three commands. And the first command is this. We need to show up. (laughs) We need to be there. We need to show up. What do I mean by that? Look with me at, um, at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. 
The author of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And and all the more as you see the day approaching. This verse, the, the, the way I think it's King James says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Remember that verse, verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10. That's what I call the why we need to go to church regularly verse. It's often been used to guilt triple, guilt trip people. You got to be at church every Sunday. Well, there's a reason why being together is a good thing. There's a reason why. And the verse gives us two of them right there. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. That word spur is a super strong word. It's also translated provoke one another. I say that that's kind of like the accountability of the body of Christ. You know, we might be able to do good things on our own, but God knows we need each other, right? To really be all that he's called us to be. We need each other. We need other people. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. And then he goes on to use the term and encourage. It's kind of like the, the one-two the one punch of the church. You're there to, to challenge me, to help me, to make me accountable, but you're also there to encourage me. When life is really hard, that's why we need to be together. Show up. We need to show up. Showing up is hard for a lot of people. Well, I'm an introvert. Well, I, you know, um, people make me nervous. Okay. People have hurt me. Yeah. People have so disappointed me. And I, and I go places and I, I, you know, I'm not very good at conversation and I just, get super nervous around other people. Okay, well, let's work on that. How can I help you? Let's work on that. Why? Because we need each other, my friends. We can't. Christianity is not supposed to be uh, in isolation. (laughs) Can't do this on your own. You can't. I can't. So we need to show up. You know, technology is such a blessing and such a horrendous curse in so many ways. Because we do things that kind of gives us a pass on showing up. It really can, right? I'm just going to text. I'm not going to drop by. I'm not going to call. Calling is kind of showing up in a way. They hear your voice. You know, just, it's easy. Why, why do you do that? It's easy. It's easy. It's efficient. It's easy. Well, the most meaningful things in life, I don't think are necessarily the easy things of life, right? Like Kathy and my friends who spent five hours in a car to come up and hug us and say, we're so sorry and cry with us about her dad's death. Power of presence is incredible. It can be incredible. Okay? So we need to show up. Let me give you a second. That we, second is we need to stay attentive Listen to this verse. This is an awesome verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I don't think I can do this very well through my phone. Exclusively. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another in love above yourselves. How do I devote myself to you and honor you and never spend time with you? Never really know you? 
I don't think I can, and I don't think I will. So let me ask you a question. Are you one of these people who struggles with when you're with somebody, like giving them your undivided attention? Like where those people want to take you by the face? Oops, don't do that. With, with a headset on. Take you by the face like we do with our little children. Look at me. I want your undivided attention because you're just doing a million things and your phone's going off and you're kind of doing the sneak phone look, you know, and all the things that we kind of tend to do. Have you ever been the recipient of that? Or you're talking to somebody and they're like looking for somebody better to talk to in the crowd, you know? It's like, that just feels incredibly disrespectful. Anybody guilty of that? I am horribly guilty at that. I am. I'm really bad at that. And it's like I'm very convicted because I had to prepare a message and talk to you about it that I do that. It's really powerful to people when you give them your undivided attention, when you're locked in. It's powerful. One of the things we're learning in Stephen ministry is the power of presence, meaning undistracted, you have my full attention, you have my focus. It is so easy, and I think, again, I'll say one of the bad things about technology, our attention span's gone from this to about that, right? Because we're just all over the place in our minds, and it's almost like we're training our brains to not focus. And I know, I, again, I can be very guilty of that. Stay attentive. Some of you know the name Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a unbelievable, awesome missionary who was murdered in Ecuador by the Indian, by Indians there that he and others went to share Christ with. He was murdered back in 1956. And he was just one of those amazing guys who wrote some profound things. He wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some of you know that quote. His second most famous quote is super relevant to this morning. His second quote is, wherever you are, be all there. Isn't that good? Wherever you are, be all there. You know what that says to me? Undivided attention. Locked in. That's that's a beautiful thought. Is that hard for you? That is really hard for me. But when I've had people do that to me, especially when I'm struggling with something or just need somebody really to listen with empathy and compassion and they do it well, it is so Jesus-like, isn't it? It is to me. And it maybe you're like me and you, you can really grow and need to grow in that area. Wherever you are, be all there. That is a great quote. Okay. Uh, Showing up, staying attentive. Let me give you my third. And that is share. We need to share ourselves. We need to share ourselves. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 2 8 says this. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Isn't that that beautiful? Paul says we were delighted. Not that we were coerced, not that we were guilt-tripped, 
to be with you and share our very lives with you. We're delighted to do that. We're honored and blessed to do that. Share, what does it mean to share your life? I wrote a couple thoughts down. It means serving others when it's incredibly inconvenient. Caring for you, loving you, being available for your well-being and being available for your good. Even when it's hard. And as I thought about this, a couple mental pictures came to mind for me. Here's a couple things I thought of. I thought of a young mother caring for her three very young, needy, not sleeping, sick children. (laughs) Who's on call more than a mom? I don't have to ask most of you. You have to give yourself, right? You don't just say, okay, between nine and five, I'm available. Okay? No fussing during the other hours. No needs during the other hours. doesn't work that way. When you give yourself, you're essentially on call. You're available. And you don't think of yourself first. You think of the needs of others. That is so hard to do. But that's what Paul is saying here. I'm reminded of an elderly husband caring for his wife on the verge of hospice care. And I'm describing my own father. Um, Let me, as a quick aside, share with you. So some of you know, eight months ago, my mom went to be with the Lord. And my mom and dad have lived at a beautiful retirement community in Fort Myers, Florida. And Kathy and I took four days between Christmas and New Year's to go and visit with my dad. My parents were married for 68 years. And we wanted to be with him between Christmas and New Year's. And... It was 83 degrees when we were there, so that was pretty awesome, too. But we got to be with my dad, and my dad lives in this beautiful retirement community. He does in Fort Myers, and it was so interesting to me that uh, all of his meals are in a, a really pretty dining area, okay? So he doesn't even have, they don't even have a kitchen because they were in assisted living. And so every meal, he sits at a table with other people. And I can remember talking to him. By the way, he eats at 7, 11, and 4 o'clock. Dinner is at 4 o'clock. I'm like, okay, Dad, whenever. I'm, I'm good with that. 4 o'clock. You get pretty hungry by about 8, you know, when you have to eat at dinner at 4 o'clock. But that's all good. That's fine. So anyway, he takes me in, and, and there's this dining room. And you see at every table, I think only once I saw somebody by themselves, but almost always other people are sitting together. And I said, Dad, that's so great, you know, that you have to be in community when you eat and you have to sit with people. He goes, oh, that is so much their plan. And he said to me, my dad's 87 and really quite healthy, but he said, when people get older, they isolate themselves. When people get older, it's so common for them to just say, I'm afraid of falling. I'm afraid of this. I don't want to go far beyond my little, tiny, security, safe place. And he said, so we have to sit and interact with other people, whether you want to or not. That's what pretty much you do. And he says, it's really a good thing. And I said, that's beautiful. And I think that illustrates why presence and being together is so very, very important. And uh, I don't think it's just for older people either. We share ourselves. Um, A college-aged daughter who ends up taking a year or two off to come home and 
serve and minister to her elderly dad who's um, a widower. You know, I mean, these things, sharing your life, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help us think through that it really means to, to give of yourself. That is not easy for anybody to do. We look at people who do it beautifully and we say, that must be so easy. No, it isn't. Being available to serve other people and attend to their needs and whatever that might look like is never easy. But there's something very Jesus-like about it. And when Paul says, yeah, we shared the gospel, obviously incredibly important, but we also shared our lives with you. I wonder what a church looks like where the majority of people really get that. Isn't that a, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? That is so challenging to me because I have so far to go in this area, and maybe you do too. I have my agenda, I have my schedule, I have my to-do list, I have all this stuff, and often even thinking that way is not on my radar And maybe you're like that too. And yet if we are going to be present with people, especially when people are hurting, we need to think this way. How can I share my life with you? How can I share my availability to you? I think is the idea. Here's something that God, and I'm going to talk to you about my Hong Kong trip uh, in just a second. But here's something that, that uh, came to mind as I studied this whole idea of presence. God wants us to experience life, not just observe life. I want to say that again if you want to jot it down. God wants us to experience life, not just observe life. And I think it's really easy to begin to just observe and sit back and not engage and not prepare participate, but God designed us to engage life and people, especially as followers of Jesus. He has 